I see a lot of your faces, I think, on uh, Sunday mornings, many of you are with us, and so it's good to see you. Uh, a couple of your faces are new to me, so that's always neat as well, uh, and I see a good number of you. All right. Uh, good, good, good. Okay, now I think I, said, I know who's here. All right. Oh, that looks weird on that screen. Doesn't look like anything that I have on my computer. Oh, well. Uh, <clears throat> well, let's see. I appreciate, first of all, I want to say thank, thank you for allowing me to be here. Thanks, you guys, uh, for allowing me to speak tonight at uh, Join Airs. I really appreciate the time to worship together, and uh, um, Alex said it very well. It was a wonderful time to kind of uh, start our weekend with worship together uh, as with the Lord. And I really just thank the Lord for our worship ministry, uh, James and Amber. I appreciate, you know, them leading us to worship. And then I love the, the blending of your voices. So that's nice, just kind of musicality-wise. I appreciated that. Thank you for those little details. We're, we excel for the glory of God. Anyways, uh, and I, I definitely want to plug the, all those announcements that you guys had. It's more announcement time, especially that bake sale because my daughter's part of Kit Kat. So uh, buy everything, please, a dollar, a dollar. But actually, she wouldn't mind if you don't buy everything because she told me that whatever's not bought, they get to bring home and eat themselves. <laughs> so, so buy whatever, only you what you want to eat. And if you don't want it, don't worry. The Kit Catters will eat it themselves. And uh, yeah, uh, hopefully you guys will have a fun time. Hopefully you get to meet her and tell her, uh, tell her uh, if, you, if you do get to in, play in a game that, that she's in next week, tell her that her daddy loves her, okay? Uh, tell her, say, my, your daddy told me to tell you that he loves you. <laughs> See what she does. She'll like, <laughs> how do you know my daddy? Anyways, all right. Well, with that, um, I, I do uh, I want to get through this word, the word that I, I've been cho- get assigned to speak on this evening, and I hope that it will be encouragement to you. Let's, uh, let, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, again for our time to fellowship together with your saints. Now, what a wonderful, joyful start through worship and music. But now, Lord, we, we worship together as we look to your word. Uh, Lord, I, I can imagine that for many of these uh, young adults in the, here that uh, they've had a long week of work and or school and maybe a combination of both. And it's, uh, it's here we are Friday night. And it may not be uh, the easiest thing to listen to a sermon, uh, but Lord, we know this is not a, a physical endeavor, but it's a spiritual endeavor. And so we pray that your spirit would fill us and, and uh, help us to hear what you want us to hear from your word. Even this passage that um, I'll be speaking on tonight. We pray that you would use it to help us learn the lessons that Jesus wants us to know uh, about the kingdom of God. And especially through children and little children particularly so god we pray that you're, you you would be our teacher now and allow this time to be glorifying to you and building up of your church increase the fellowship that we can have with one another in jesus name we pray amen all right so i'm going to find to speak on mark chapter 10 verse 13 to 16 if you have your bibles you can turn there with me and it is a subject about children I don't know about you, but growing up, uh, I was the youngest child in my family. There was two of us. I was the youngest kid, and, and so I didn't have any younger siblings to interact with. Uh, as I grew older, I, I really never had any desires to play with 
little kids. Um, my sister would play with them sometimes. That you know, maybe a relative would come over with a little baby or something, and she would play with them. But I was pretty much ambivalent to little children because they were no fun. Uh, they wouldn't play with me, and you know, I didn't really know how to play with them. Sure, they were cute to look at, but you know, I really had absolutely zero desire to be around little kids, little children. Maybe if they were closer to my age and I could play with them, we could play video games, something like that. Maybe then they'd be okay. And of course, so I, and this kind of attitude towards children really. It just has been part of my life, even as a Christian, even as a pastor. You know, sure, uh, when as a pastor of a church, there are a lot of little kids. And, I, you know, I'm not, I don't know, normally feel very comfortable playing with a lot of little kids. Yes, once a year, I, along with most of the church, would work together with children, little children at day camp. And, and have fun with them and, and play with them and things like that. But it was, that was quite, you know, irregular, just once a year. And it wasn't until I had my own kids nine years ago that uh, I uh, started to delight in playing with kids, little kids, and especially my own, of course. Uh, but even now, having little children of my own, I, I started to appreciate the little children that others have as well. Now, I'm sure in this room that there are some of you who love children. Any of you who really love children? Raise your hands. Yeah, you're just, okay, <laughs> you know, and by the way, that's not the right answer to say, okay, that's just, you know, I'm just asking you preference, so you, you like, you know, you don't have to love little children, it's okay, but others, you and I would maybe even think, I would think the majority of you guys, especially the guys, as, as single adults, you probably are just like I was, pretty much, at best, you know, the kids are cool, they're cute, but, you know, they're, you know, they're just something, some, you know, something to be tolerated in, in around the life of a church. And, you know, maybe you're ambivalent toward them in general. And what's more, you might even be disinterested in if I were going to tell you that the subject of our lesson today is the subject of little children. You might say, what, what do little children have to do with me? What do little children have to do with you? Now, especially after a, a long week of work in school. Well, what do little children have to do with you and with me in the wisdom and providence of God? Quite a bit, as we're going to learn today. And we're going to glean from this text that we'll look at, Mark 10, 13 to 16. God has given children to mankind, uh, to, us as a, to us as human beings, not just for us to teach God's truths and pass on from one generation to the next, as I've taught in uh, Sundays and Sunday's sermons not too long ago, but God gives us children, little children particularly, for us to learn from. Not that they will get up and teach us things, not necessarily that, but their lives are object lessons from which we can learn truths that Christ in his word teaches. And particularly, little children are a perfect object lesson about the kingdom of God. And we learn this in Mark chapter 10, verses 13 to 16. Four short verses that we're going to look at today. And Mark, as you know, you guys have been studying from Mark for how long now? Is it seems like a long time, 10 chapters. A year? Probably half a year? Yeah, a year, half a year. Uh, so by now, you've heard enough. What is the theme of Mark? Yeah, this is a quiz. What's the theme of Mark? Jesus as? Did I hear that right? Say it out loud, please. Servant, yes. <laughs> Jesus as a servant. 
Now, if you didn't know, um, you know, each of the Gospels presents Jesus from a little different point of view, different perspective, different emphasis of who he is. He's all of them. But in Matthew, it, Mark, I'm sorry, presents Jesus as the servant. And if you know your, the Gospel of Gospel Mark very well, Mark's, not only theme is represented in a key verse. Do you know where that key verse is? Anybody know the reference? Wow, this is a good reason to go to Sunday school class. Yeah, don't want Sunday school class. This is where you're gonna learn for these. And it's okay. It's Friday night. I know you're. Brave. You knew this about ten years ago when you were taking high school Sunday school class. I'm sure your teachers taught you. But it's Mark ten forty five, and Mark ten forty five goes for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That's that's the key verse of of Mark, and. Uh, Every time we preach from the Gospel of Mark, we almost want to keep that big picture in mind. Everything's pointing to Jesus as a servant and the kind of servant he is. But uh, that's, that's, that's a very important part. You want to remember that for the future just as you study through the rest of the Gospel of Mark. Now, in this part of Mark, Mark we're at Mark chapter 10. Wow. Did you guys know you guys had a very critical point in the study of the Gospel of Mark? Mark is divided really into two parts. It's divided in Mark chapter 1 through 10 and Mark chapters 11 through 15. It talks about how Jesus 1 through 10 talks about Jesus coming to serve and how the, all the different ways that he served, how he taught. He served, he served by teaching. He served by healing. He served by showing compassion and mercy to people. Uh, he, sh- he showed it in many different ways, uh, his service to all. And he served all sorts of different kinds of people, not only uh, uh, men but, and women, but adults and children, and widows and, 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 uh, or, and those who are uh, um, without homes. He, he, served, he served all kinds of different people. And then in 11 to 15, we're going to see is the very moment that uh, he begins his final week on earth, where he begins to serve and give his life a ransom for many, where he, it's his passion week. So Jesus in Mark chapter 10 is on a journey. He's on his last journey from Capernaum, Galilee, to Jerusalem. He's heading to Jerusalem for the very last time. He's not going to leave Jerusalem. He's going to die. Uh, he's going to be arrested and imprisoned and eventually die uh, crucified on the cross. And so all the way, he's because at the height of his popularity now, he is traveling from uh, Capernaum all the way to Jerusalem through Perea as well as Judea, and he is surrounded by crowds. He had been, as his popularity increased, he tried to spend time privately with his disciples, and he, wouldn't, he would do that often, but now as he's making his, he's arriving at his public entrance into Jerusalem, he's allowing the crowds to, to gather around him again. And all the while as they're surrounding him, he's using the opportunity to teach. So you can think about it. Jesus has been trying to teach his disciples and, and focus on them before he, uh, before he goes into, before he uh, faces his passion. And now in Mark chapter 10, he's opened up to teaching again. And we saw that in chapter 10, um, one, verse 1, where he once more began to teach them. That is all the crowds. So these are the, the last, at least according to Mark, Jesus' last lessons that he teaches to the crowds of people before he goes to his death. Everything from 11 on is, is private. It's, it's really for his disciples to hear. It's for them for primary focus. But here, it's for everyone to hear. These principles, these truths are his radical truths that mark the kind of people that belong in his kingdom. And uh, 
Well, last, uh, in, I think last time you guys you studied Mark chapter 10, verse 1 through 12, I believe, and talks about the, the, uh, about the subject of divorce and how God's, the people who are part of God's kingdom, basically, basically people who are going to be committed and devoted to their, to their spouse. They're not going to be people who are uh, unfaithful, who divorce their spouse whenever, at, every, at any whim, but they're going to be committed to their, their spouse of a lifetime. Now, in a very related subject, Jesus starts teaching them about the subject of children. And, uh, and it comes because of a scenario that rises. And we're going to look at two lessons, two kingdom lessons that Jesus teaches us from little children. He will use this occasion where he interacts with some little kids and he teaches us two kingdom lessons. The first kingdom lesson that we're going to learn in this passage is that the kingdom of God belongs to the weak and insignificant. He uses children to teach us this very point. Verse 13, and they were bringing children to him so that he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. So, who was they? They were probably, it's, it's not really, it's unspecified, it's most likely the parents of these children, and they were bringing their children to Jesus. This word children is often refers to small children. It was used in, back in Mark 5.39 of a 12-year-old girl, so that's, the, that's kind of the upper limit of this word. But the parallel account of this in Luke 18.15 tells us that they were bringing even their babies to him. So Luke records that they were bringing children to him, but even their babies. So it would imply that these children were probably ranged from babies all the way to age 12. That's the age of little children. And 12 and under basically is like sort of commonly known as the age of accountability when they're not yet adults yet, but they are about to become accountable adults in Jewish culture. So we can gather that... The people are bringing little children. They're not bringing teenagers to them. They're bringing their infants and their toddlers and their uh, school-age children and their, uh, their tweeners and, and such. Now, the reason they were bringing these children to Jesus was because basically they wanted him to touch them. Uh, not in a creepy way, of course, but in a, in a God-honoring way, in a blessed way. It was quite common in those days for, uh, for people to bring their children to, uh, to rabbis that they respected and for those rabbis to, to lay their hands upon those children and to bless them and, and pray a prayer for them. This was a, a common practice, and, and it showed that these parents were concerned for the spiritual well-being of their children. You know, it's amazing just as parents, you know, when you become a parent, you really start, if you're not interested in kids, when you become a parent, you all of a sudden learn to become concerned. Even though the most wicked people love their kids, generally speaking. I know there's exceptions out there, some terrible exceptions, but generally, even evil people know how to do good and look out for their own kids because they're a reflection of themselves, okay? So these parents were, were just concerned for the spiritual well-being of their children. They brought their children to Jesus so that he might pr- lay hands upon them and pray for them and bless them. Well, that's a good thing. However, the disciples did not, think, did not agree with this. The disciples thought otherwise. They sh- their response to these children, as we see in the end of verse 13, but the disciples rebuked them shows that these disciples thought the kids were, these little children that were being brought to Jesus were somehow insignificant. You know, don't you know? And again, Mad Peter is saying, don't you know? Jesus is a very busy man. He has much to heal. Don't you know he's on a journey? He's heading to Jerusalem. He's going to, he, do you not hear the Pharisees and the scribes? They're probably worrying about these, these Pharisees and scribes who are trying to, to trick Jesus all the time. And they want Jesus to to be able to focus and not be distracted by these, these 
this horde of kids that were coming just so they could receive a blessing. You see, these 12 saw themselves as the gatekeepers of Jesus. They saw that it was their role to limit who could come to Jesus and who couldn't. It was as if Jesus was one of those celebrities, you know, and he needed bodyguards. And it's like, hey, no, you, you stay back right now. You can't come near Jesus. You know, that's how famous people are, but not Jesus. He doesn't put bodyguards up to, he welcomes all, right? So when all these people were bringing children to Jesus, uh, you know, they, these disciples said, no, no, you can't. He, they were, in fact, disciples rebuked the parents, it says. That's a strong phrase. They thought that Jesus had much better things to do than to see all these kids. These children were not important enough to come to Jesus. And this was, this was not a, just a unique situation that only the disciples' attitude that the disciples had. This is actually a common attitude in, New Testament, <clears throat> in the New Testament world. The perceived value of an individual in that day depended upon really what a person could do. And I learned this when I studied adoption. You know, nowadays when we talk about adoption, uh, oh, by the way, my, my children are adopted. Um, I adopted, we bought them when they were embryos. But nevertheless, people tend to adopt their children when they're young. Uh, in New Testament era, particularly in Roman culture, it would be unheard of to just adopt someone as a baby or a child or anyone who's not even an adult. The more common form of adoption was that you would adopt someone only when they were adult because they would adopt them to be your son so that they could be your heir and pass on you and receive your inheritance and pass on your, your name, really. And because only adults were capable. You want to make sure they could be capable of doing something before you would adopt them. Quite a different type of adoption than what we know of today. And the adoption we know today is because, well, because of the biblical adoption that we, we learned in the Bible, really. But that's another thing. You see, the world didn't think that children, or those who were not adults, were, were important. They're only significant dependent upon what you could do. And since children could do little until they were grown, they were simply considered insignificant. They were invisible in comparison to the adults. So the disciples thought they were doing the right thing when they rebuked the parents for bringing their children. You know, they said, and despite, and you know, despite all their time with Jesus, you think they would have observed how Jesus related to other people? Uh, disciples misunderstood Jesus' ministry, the extent of his ministry. They, had, they didn't grasp that he came not to be served, but to serve. And he came, and because he is the first and the greatest, he came to be a servant of all, ultimately by even giving his life. And Jesus responds to disciples and corrects them from this errant view in verse 14. Verse 14. Where Jesus, and what, but when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He was, uh, he was much grieved, is what it literally says. Much displeased, the King James. Jesus was greatly displeased. Mark's kind of neat in that he shows Jesus' emotions. Here's an emotion of Jesus. He was indignant. He was disgusted with his disciples, if you will. These men whom he had taught the past three years still misunderstood the basic principles of his ministry. Had not Jesus made time for all kinds of people? Did he not make time for the demon-possessed, for the leprous, for the blind, the dying, the paralytic, the widows, the tax gatherers, the prostitutes, the Gentiles, and yes, even the Pharisees? Jesus made time for all. And Jesus makes time for children. 
No one is too insignificant in Jesus' eyes, is the point. He received and served everyone who came to him. So Jesus corrects the disciples in the latter half of verse 14. His displeasure results in a correction, and he said to them, Permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. You see, he gives a, the intensity of his correction is such that he ends up giving a double command. One of them alone would have been enough. Permit the children to come to me, or do not hinder them. But he says it both. Directed to his disciples, say, don't allow the children to come and stop hindering them. Stop being a gatekeeper of who, determining who can, who can or cannot come to me. What the disciples were doing were completely contrary to what Jesus desired. His desire is for everyone to come to him. For everyone, God's desire is that all would come to a saving knowledge of him through his son. But especially Jesus here, he wants everyone to come, but including children especially. Why? Why does he give a special regard to these children? He says, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And this is the, the kind of the critical phrase in this whole passage. This is the key phrase. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Jesus is making his lesson, his point here, that the kingdom of God belongs to such as these, these children. Now, commonly, first of all, when we see the phrase kingdom of God, what do we think? A lot of times, I think by default, what do you, what's the phrase? When I say kingdom of God, what do you think? I bet you you were not thinking the millennial kingdom. Anybody think the millennial kingdom? No, I didn't think so either. Most of you were thinking eternal life, maybe. That's probably the most common thing. When we hear kingdom of God, read kingdom of God, we think eternal life. And definitely that is a part of this kingdom of God. But there is so much more to this concept when you study the rest of the scriptures. It's not just about eternal life. It's about being part of the kingdom of God. And understanding references, anyone, so when you study your New Testament, you, you see a reference to the kingdom of God, you should immediately three things to come to mind when you think of, you know, just to give you a structure when you think about kingdom of God. Sorry, it's a little Sunday school lesson here. When the, you think of the kingdom of God, you should always think, well, a kingdom should have a king or a ruler, right? There's always going to be a king or a ruler. Then secondly, there's going to be subjects or citizens or, or people of this kingdom. That's the second thing that's usually marked in a kingdom. And then thirdly, there is the actual, the reign of that king over the subjects of the kingdom. Such as, you know, when we think of old kingdoms, kingdoms gone by God, they don't exist anymore. Why? Because those kings don't exist or those people don't exist or those kings are no longer ruling or reigning over those kingdoms, those people, those subjects. So these are three aspects. Now, you and I know that the Bible reveals that the king or the Christ, the anointed one, is none other than the son of God himself, Jesus of Nazareth, right? We know that, the son of Joseph and Mary. Uh, So the kingdom of God then encompasses basically all of Christ's reign over his people. This reign begins spiritually in the life of believers from the moment of their salvation until their death. And then upon our death, we, this, king, this reign, this kingdom be, continues in our intermediate state in heaven where we experience what we call eternal life. But even then, our salvation is not complete. The kingdom of God is not done yet. There's still so much more. We're just on the, these 70 years is just a drop in the bucket of being part of the kingdom of God, brothers and sisters. Don't get too stressed out by what you're facing here in this world. It's just 70 years. But after the, however long in heaven we may be in that intermediate state, 
there comes a time when Christ returns to earth. He's going to return. Everyone, uh, everyone understands that Jesus is going to return. And when he returns, he's going to reign over the earth. He's going to rule over the earth. And we believe that this is going to be an earthly kingdom lasting a thousand years, which we call the millennial kingdom on earth. And, even, and, that is, and that is where he will reign over the earth as the king over his subjects. And even that's not the end because after the thousand years, there's a rebellion that Satan leads. He's finally cast in the lake of fire. And then a new heavens and new earth. New heavens and new earth where he continues to reign over us. And that, brothers and sisters, is all what is waiting for you and me. You guys thought here we'd learn about children. We're going to learn here about the rest of your lives. Brothers and sisters, just let that grass sink in for you if you can. It's a, it's a, there's, a, there's so much waiting ahead in this kingdom of God. This, it's such a rich thing to be part of this kingdom of God. Don't you want to be part of this kingdom of God? So when we see reference to the kingdom of God, it may refer to all or any aspect of this kingdom. But in this passage, the focus is on the subjects of this kingdom. Who can be a kingdom citizen? To whom does this kingdom belong to is the question. And, the king, and Jesus answers that the kingdom of God, all of these things that we just talked about, belongs to such as these, he says. And when he says such as these, he's referring to the children, the children that everyone was bringing to him. Now, I want to make sure that Jesus, you know, that Jesus is not here teaching that He's talking about how children are automatically saved and have eternal life, especially before the age of accountability. And there are some who believe that. Uh, that would be an incorrect conclusion from this text. The Greek word translated such as these is critical to our interpretation. If Jesus had intended to teach that all children are saved, he would have said something like, for the kingdom of God belongs to these. Maybe. But instead he uses, the kingdom of God belongs to such as these which denotes those who are of a kind, a certain kind, a certain quality, a certain type. What kind of type of people belong to the kingdom of God? Childlike people. This, uh, by the way, this word such as these is used in Mark 9.37 as well as a parallel in Matthew 18.5. I want to read it for you. Just to, and this, this parallel really brings it home. Makes, uh, if you had any doubt that he's, he's, not, he's, that he's talking about which the people who are, uh, a rep, who are symbolized by children. And he said, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted, you are converted, talking to people in the audience, and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, for he had put a child before them, he is the greatest in the kingdom of God. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And there's that phrase, one such child. So Jesus in this, you see uh, from the Matthew 18 context, and even if you look at Matthew, Mark 9, a little child is really a symbol. It's not that Jesus is not saying that children are saved. Jesus' point is that children are a symbol of the kind of people who are a part of his kingdom. And Jesus is teaching that the kingdom of God belongs to all who are like little children. But what, and so the question then is, what are little children like? As the kingdom of God belongs to those who are cute, the kingdom of God belongs to those who are, you know, who just love to play all the time and can't focus on anything and just run around crazy and screaming in the middle of the night. I don't know any kids like that. Are the no, of course not. 
our culture states thinks of them as cute, but in the historical context, and this is where historical context is key, how do people in Jesus' day think of little children? The disciples just showed you. Children are insignificant. Children are to be are really irrelevant. Children are ignored. They're pushed aside. They don't have any value because they're weak and they're helpless. They're insignificant because they're weak. They cannot do anything for society, for the family. And so Jesus' lesson from children is that the kingdom of God belongs to those who are weak and insignificant. The kingdom of God is not for those who think of themselves as strong or, or powerful or wise or knowledgeable. The kingdom of God belongs to those who humbly recognize that they are powerless. They are weak. To do anything of our in and of our own strength to enter the kingdom of God. It's for those who recognize that they are insignificant and don't even deserve nor can ever earn the right to enter into the kingdom. Jesus states this in a more direct way in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 3. He uses very similar wording when he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It really is a, to them belong the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit, those who are lowly spirit, those who are humble. In other words, we, we just say those who are humble. And on two applications of this lesson that we learn about how the kingdom of God belongs to those who are weak and insignificant, those who are uh, humble in heart or poor in spirit, is this. First of all, are we ourselves like these children? Do we think of ourselves? Do we have the attitude of children who recognize our own helplessness and insignificance to be saved? Do we see our own inability to save ourselves and that there's nothing that we do can do or, or say by which we're saved? That's, that's, a, that's a question number one. But secondly, I think we can learn from the lesson from the disciples too. Are we ourselves like the disciples at times? Sadly, the disciples saw the children as insignificant and we're treating them as such in our own fellowship here or in our groups or church. Let us consider how we treat those whom we may consider insignificant in the world's eyes. Um, I don't think children are the same way for us. Our culture has really learned to elevate children. And so uh, I trust even when you guys play with those Kit Catters next week, you guys will you know, be really nice and, and kind and all that stuff. But I think there are the, in our society today, the people who are insignificant maybe are those who are relatively, in comparison to us, they are the poor. Uh, they are those who are who don't speak too much. They're quiet. They're shy. Uh, they're ones who are maybe not so much the cool crowd, but the nerdy, nerdy folks. Maybe they're the ones who have, uh, have disabilities or infirmities. Maybe they have speech uh, difficulty uh, uh, problems. Maybe they, they don't look uh, so handsome or beautiful as you know, our society um, gauges things. And so sometimes we treat those who are like that uh, with, with a, we can't treat them as, as if they're insignificant, just like the disciples did the children. But I think we all know, if you remember our Savior, and what he did is that he, he welcomes them all. He welcomes all. He, treat, he, he is a servant of all. And that's what we should strive to be like.
Well, this, that's the first lesson that we learned, the kingdom lesson. The second kingdom lesson, which is a corollary, really, we find in verse 15 to 16. And that is, the kingdom of God is received by grace through faith. That this kingdom that is, that is promised to us is something that we must receive by grace. It's a, it's a gift through faith in Christ. Verse 15, uh, we look into, when Jesus starts off and says, Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. You know, whenever Jesus says this phrase, truly I say to you, he's often at times emphasizing something that's unexpected yet true. This is something that they would have been surprised to hear. Otherwise, they wouldn't have treated the children this way. And so he says, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. Whoever indicates that this is a, a truth that applies to everyone. He said, but he says, and this, if you want to receive the kingdom of God, you have to receive it like a child. Because if you don't receive it like a child, you're never going to enter into that kingdom. So Jesus, what he's doing is focusing on, on how children receive things. And if you don't have any children in your life, or young children in your life, and you don't have to interact with any, then you probably, oh, I don't know how they receive things. You're missing out on something really important. How did children receive things? Well, children receive things. Whatever they receive, they receive it freely with an attitude of trust and dependence. They don't question whether it's a trick. You know, if I, you know, huh, there you go. $50 right here. $50 dog. No. If I were to say to you, you know, let me come down, give, make it real, make it real. Oh, Victor, man. Hey, this is a gift for you. <laughs> but, you know, but I know, you all know what Victor's feeling, right? Like, because I'm like, I'd feel the same way. I'd say, right? I'd say, what's the trick? Okay, I don't know. Okay, it's an illustration. It's not, it's not real. It's not, I mean, we think it's not real. But if you took it, I, I would have felt bad because I think I would have gave it to him. I'm not sure myself. <laughs> But if I gave it to any kids here, uh, they might not have received it. But if I give it to my kids, put it right in their pocket. Because that's how kids receive, from, particularly from their parents at first. But they'll do it. That's why we have to, they'll take it from strangers too. That's why we have to teach kids about don't take anything from strangers. Because they'll just take it freely and from anyone who gives them anything. Okay? Oh, I'm not bitter. You know, as little children, we receive things freely in complete trust and dependence on the one who gives it to us. We don't think it's a trick. We don't think there's, there's a scam. We don't think, oh, there's, there's going to be a catch-22 to this, or there's gonna be, I'm about to pay it back, or I'm going to earn it, so I've got to do chores later. And my kids are learning, you might have to do chores. But um, the fact is, little children receive things freely with trust and dependence. You know, and the, I think we can get this because all of us were children once, right? And whenever you wanted something, you didn't have it, you just went and asked your mom and dad for it probably. You said, Mom and Dad, can I have this? Can I have this? And you know, that when you were real cute, they gave it to you probably. But after a while, then they, you know, then they start telling you no. You know, because they realize, oh, I, can't, I gotta stop giving you gifts. But trust me, your parents wanted to give you all sorts of stuff. They would have given it all to you, but they knew they would have spoiled you if they did. They loved you enough to say no. Okay, right? We know that. But 
They gave us food. We did not because, and not, we didn't have to earn it, right? They gave us clothing, not that we'd have to work for it. They, we, they gave us uh, all that they gave us, not because of anything that we had to do. It was simply out of love that they gave it to us, and we received it as a gift. And we depended upon them in every way. In a similar way, the kingdom of God must be simply received. It is received as a gift, not as a, it's, it's not a wages. It's a gift. It's not earned or deserved. You know, when, when one receives eternal life, it's with this humble recognition that one is completely bankrupt, completely helpless, completely weak and insignificant, unable to save ourselves, unable to enter the kingdom of God. Only way I can receive it is if God would offer it to me freely so that I can receive it through faith and trust in him. And it is this humility that knows one is helpless and therefore calls out to God for salvation, receiving the salvation as a gift from God. And we know this is true, taught by Paul elsewhere. Uh, the wages of sin is death. That's what we earn. It's, but the free gift of God, that's what we don't have to earn. It's not something we deserve. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Have you received eternal life, brothers and sisters? I, the wonderful thing is I'm not sure who's saved here and who's not. I'm going to guess you're here on a Friday night. Most of you are probably saved because, you know, if I was on Friday nights when I was your age, I was at church too, so praise God. <laughs> but, you know, when I was younger, I would have been somewhere else. Um, and uh, so that where your desires are, there is some indication that you're probably all saved. But I want you to double check just because I don't know many of you very well yet. Have you recognized that you are a sinner condemned to hell, helpless, weak, insignificant, like a child, desperately needing salvation, and you can only receive it as a gift? Have you received that gift that Christ died for you and your sins on the cross, was buried and rose from the dead so that you could receive eternal life through his through his payment for your sins. And it's real subtle because a lot of times we believe that initially, then we start thinking, well, then I got to earn it by living a righteous life afterward. I got I to earn it. I got to work for it. No, no, that, that is work salvation. You can't earn it. You'll never earn it. You'll never work for it. Strive to live to the glory of God, yes, out of love. But don't mistake, it's always a gift. You must receive it. You must rest in total trust and dependence upon Christ. Freely, gratefully, wholeheartedly receive the kingdom of God like a child. If you want eternal life, if you hope to have eternal life in the kingdom of God, receive Christ as a child, like a child. Now, disciples saw children as insignificant, but Jesus recognized their significance. For they have an attitude which is critically important for those of us for whom the kingdom of God belongs. Every man, every woman, every child that receives Christ in humility, dependence, receives eternal life as a gift of his grace. And then verse 16, we see this beautiful picture of how Jesus relates to these children. It kind of a summary. He took them in his arms. After his teaching, he took all the children in his arms and began blessing them, laying his hands on them. Jesus took time to bless these children, every single one of them, praying for them, for their bless, for God's blessing upon them. It's a picture of Jesus' tenderness toward the children. He embraced them, hugged them, 
He fervently blessed them. He saw in these little children a picture of the kind of people, such people, who would enter and become a part of his kingdom. And so little children are these, provide these kingdom lessons for us. It teaches us the kind of people, humble people, that uh, the kingdom, belong, belongs to, kingdom of God belongs to. And it teaches how we ought to enter this kingdom by receiving this kingdom as a gift through faith in his son. Little children are God's reminders to us of the kind of people that receives and enters the kingdom of God. And it's no wonder, in a very practical sense, that children are often those who most readily respond to the gospel. I want to do a quick survey. Uh, this is a consistent with, there's, I, I read about a Gallup survey once done about how many people uh, come to believe, become Christians uh, as young people. I'm going to do a quick survey. I won't tell you the answer, okay? I want to see if it's true in this room. I'm going to guess, how many people are here? 40? I think I heard 40. All right. Um, just raise your hands and keep them raised, okay? If you came to Christ, became a Christian, and maybe you, hopefully you, maybe you grew up in a Christian home, so your parents were faithful in preaching the gospel to you, how many of you believe okay, that you became a Christian before you were five, five and under? Anybody? Five and under? How many of you became a Christian 10 and under? Raise your hand. Keep them raised. All right, well, good. I'm going to marry you. How many of you became a Christian 15 and under? 15 and under. Keep them all raised, those of you. Okay, 15 and under. And how many of you came to Christ 20 and under? Twenty and under, all right. And how many of you came to Christ twenty-five and under? Twenty-five and under. Okay, take a look around. What's that? Well, you know, just guesstimate that percentage. Okay, twenty-five and under. You can put it down. Gallup survey said nineteen out of twenty people. Uh, nineteen out of twenty people. That's uh, what? Eighty some percent. My math is bad. Eighty times five. Okay. <laughs> Forty ninety-five. 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 And that's pretty much what happens, right? The reality is when we're young children, when we're, under, when we're at a younger age, we are more have that soft heart. We are not hardened by sin. We're not jaded by our sinfulness. We're not, we, we have a, a more trusting heart that is responsive to the gospel. And so that's why it's so important that, you know, that Jesus used these little children here for, to, for us. It's encouraging for all of us, especially I, I know there are parents in our room here. You're going to have a profound impact upon your children. I, as one who came to Christ as an adult, envy my friends who came to Christ when I was growing up in the church. Because they were not, they, at, least, at least far as I could tell, <laughs> did not experience all those rebellious, sinful deeds and acts and activities that I uh, experienced as a young person. Um, until I found Christ, until Christ found me. And they could serve Christ with a, with a they were taught the Bible well, that they, they know God's plan. They know very clearly what's important in this world, even before I became a Christian. And uh, those of you who are in that, in that uh, who have experienced that, don't, you know, I hope you are, understand how blessed you are that you have parents who love you, and parents who are in that range here, uh, you have a wonderful role and continue to teach your, your children, point them to Christ. 
And for the rest of us, I hope, you know, most of us here don't have kids, and I understand that. It's okay. It's Friday night, fellowship, you're young adults. But I hope that you'll, you will be open to when you are, have opportunity to, like maybe uh, they're looking for, say, somebody to work in the nursery or something like that, you know, if there's ever a need, that you might say, huh, maybe I'm going to try to work with children so that, not just so I can serve and teach them, but that I can learn what God wants me to learn from them. And trust me, as a, as now I'm on the other side of it, I see, oh, and God is teaching me so much as me from a parent that I didn't know before. It's making me a better man. It made me a better parent. It's making me a better. It's making me a better pastor, because I've become a parent. And uh, as you work with kids, those of you who already love kids, work with kids, you're far ahead of the curve. Uh, praise the Lord. You're learning things about uh, uh, about the kind of people that belong in His kingdom. Um, and if you're looking for a way to serve, children's ministry is a wonderful way. Um, so you could look up to Theo uh, for that and get plugged into children's ministry. I hope it's a wonderful entry kind of level ministry in our church if you aren't already serving somewhere. Well, let me wrap it up. I've gone long, I believe, but I have five questions. Are, do you guys already have discussion questions? In your... Oh, okay, you guys are on the slide. So I want to share it. That I've, um, I've left... Uh, a five discussion questions for you, really random questions, not all directly from the text. I just threw in a couple just because I think they're fun. <laughs> I think they'd be fun for you to talk about as single people, particularly. Uh, so uh, please forgive me if uh, you know you get offended by it. So show it to them later before they you know, after after this time where I interact with the field. So let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for our time with. Uh, together with these joint heirs and teaching the word of God. Thank you for the gospel, Mark. Thank you for children in your plan that, to teach us think truths about the kingdom, the way that how we can enter the kingdom uh, and, the, and the kind of people that belong in the kingdom. We pray that, um, that as we are really focused right now in this season of our lives uh, in doing what we do, that sometimes it's easy for us to just focus on the right here, what's here and now and, and the challenge before us. But Lord, as we think about the kingdom of God, that just as it was a hope for the uh, Old Testament as well as New Testament saints, it is still a very huge part of our hope, Lord. Help us to be, uh, to be, um, to be aware and cognizant of this great plan that you have to establish your kingdom over this earth and restore the, this world that was corrupted by the fall and bring it back to that one that place where mankind will will uh, dwell on earth under the dominion and rule of, of our king, your son, Jesus Christ. We pray that uh, if anyone's here who does not know Christ, that they would place their faith in Christ today and receive the gift of salvation as a, like a child, freely trusting you. And we pray that you may, uh, that you would uh, bless the time of fellowship around the discussion groups and such, and uh, this evening as well. And uh, thank you, Lord, for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.